It's Tuesday, May 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Morgan Housel. How are you? I'm all right. How you doing? I'm good. I didn't just land a couple hours ago from another country. Yeah. I woke up this morning in a different country, and I beat a substantial portion of my coworkers into the office this morning. <laughs> I mean, let's not throw all of our coworkers under the bus because but, you weren't you you weren't flying here from Germany, you weren't flying here from Sweden or Australia. You flew here from Canada. Yeah. What is that? Maybe a 90-minute flight? Yeah, about that. I mean, I'm yes, technically true. You came from another country, but come on. I had my passport stamped before my coworkers woke up. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, let's let's talk about your trip because you were up there for an investing conference of some sort. Yeah, the CFA annual conference. It's a big event, about two thousand people, from all all over the world, come. Investors? Uh, mo- they're mostly CFAs. Yep. Not all, but most CFAs. So it spans, um, you know, they're investors, analysts, brokers, um, you know, a, a big representation throughout the financial industry. How mutual dis- fund managers, hedge fund managers, pension fund managers. How disappointed do you think they were to discover that you were one of the featured speakers? Yeah, probably a little bit. I don't have a C- I don't have my CFA, so they are by definition more qualified than the guy on the stage. What? Which is probably just kind of, I don't know. I don't know how it works. But so, what did you end up talking about? Well, I, I sit with other people and, and we and we talk about stuff on stage. Uh, people who are more qualified than me. So my job is to uh, sort of steer the conversation in certain directions, add in some input, try to you know what I always try to do is just offer a. You know, it's it's typical and tempting for a lot for a lot of the other speakers to uh, go down the path of their research, and this is what they're familiar with, and this is what they do, and this is what their results show, and they crunched all the data, and here's what they found. I like to add in like a voice of skepticism, and oh, okay, here's what you found, but have you thought about this and this, and what about that? That I think uh, is how I try to add value at these conferences, is just by taking them in a direction that they're not used to going. I think that's a a balance that everyday investors who aren't CFAs try to strike. Because on the one hand, one of the things we talk about here is, look, when you start investing in individual companies, a good place to start is your circle of competence. And look at companies where you understand the business. And, and, and so, if you're in a particular field of endeavor, you can start to go down that road. And you have more, in, you know. Ron Gross will, uh, has commented before that one of the main reasons he doesn't invest in big banks is he doesn't feel like he has an edge right. as an investor, and so he largely steers clear of that group. So it's great to go down the road where you feel like you have an understanding and you know these businesses well. But to your point, if you go too far down that road. Then, then you get into the weeds a little bit. The question that we don't ask enough in investing is, what about this? Have you thought of this? We don't ask that question enough, and it's really tempting for investors, especially I think the most educated and credentialed investors, as we have at the CFA conference, to uh, to correlate their credentials, their degrees, uh, with a sense of confidence. That leads very quickly to overconfidence, and as much as I can tone that down for them, I try to, for their own good. What was the mood in the room to the sense, uh, to to the extent that you were able to discern a mood uh, first about the market in general right now, 
And then secondly, I'm curious if there was any theme to the questions you were getting, either when you were up on the stage or just when you're shooting the breeze with someone during a coffee break. Something I, that is is pretty noticeable when you go to these events is, a, and this has been true for several years now since the financial crisis, but an understanding among almost every financial professional that the industry, not everyone in the industry, but the industry taken as a whole, has not done a good job serving customers, whether that is small individual investors or pension funds or endowment funds or clients that big investment bankers uh, deal with, that there was a very long stretch of history where the, the game was tilted in the favor of the middleman. And there is a big push now, a legitimate, well-meaning push to write that. So there are a lot of uh, talks and breakout sessions at these conferences of how can we create finance to better society, that we can, add, that we can still serve ourselves and make it a profitable industry, but how can we really help society for the better? Uh, and this stemmed, I think, after the financial crisis, when it was a big soul-searching, look-in-the-mirror moment of, what are we doing? This is our career, and, we're, and the financial industry breeds some of the smartest people, some of the most brilliant PhDs. And I think a lot of people looked in the mirror and said, what are we doing to the world? After a lot of these inventions and products and sales techniques that came out of the financial crisis really uh, you know, showed what, what they're capable of doing. So at, at, at every financial conference I've been to in the last several years, there's a push for that. And I think it's getting uh, stronger and people are more, are more interested in it now. I love following you on Twitter. And so because I follow you on Twitter, I know that sometime after you were on stage, you went out to dinner with a couple of people. Yeah. Who'd you go out to dinner with? Uh, two of my favorite financial writers, Michael Badnick, who uh, works for Barry Ritholtz's wealth management firm. He's a director of research at Ritholtz Wealth Management. And a, a guy named Tadas Visconta, who runs a blog named uh, called Abnormal Returns, which is mostly uh, a set of links that he publishes every day of the best financial articles from around the financial universe. And that, that is, I think, one of the most valuable services that you can do as a financial journalist is uh, rounding up and uh, in a sensible, orderly way the best financial journalism and sort of acting as a trusted filter. Because there's so much content that gets published these days, thousands and thousands and thousands of articles every day. And if you don't have some sort of filter on it, you're just going to get lost. And Tadas, I think, reads more financial news than anyone in the world, and he filters out the best 10 or 15 articles from the day and publishes a link fest the next day, and it's hugely valuable. So we had a great dinner. What'd you talk about? If you've written about finance before, we probably talked about you. Wait a minute. So, in some, in some, so some, wait a minute. Hold on. Ways. Hold on. So the three of you just got together and said, "Let's ha- let's spend the meal just bashing other financial writers." Not not bashing. We said some <laughs> nice things about people. There was a little bashing. <laughs> uh, w- was there was there uh, someone that you learned about that night? Was there so is there someone that either Michael or Tadas is reading or following that they said, "Oh, do you know about this person? You should check him out." Well, I think we all read the same people. The three of us. Um, so in, in that sense, there's 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 a lot of overlap. It's mostly overlap. What we talked, one thing we talked a lot about, is that there are a lot of very smart financial analysts, and there are a lot of very good writers. There is a, a scarcity of both, and the the few that have really mastered that, people like Josh Brown and Michael Batnick, 
people like that rise very quickly to the top because it's it's very rare. Josh Brown is, I think, the best example of someone who is as entertaining as he is smart. And that is the, so uh, rare in this industry. I believe the Twitter handle is, is it Downtown Josh Brown? Uh, the Reformed Broker. The Reformed Broker. Okay. It's yeah, his, it's his, his, that, his that's the handle. name that appears. Yeah. yeah. And it's so incredibly rare. But you have to have that. There are so many smart uh, investors, especially in academia, who because of the way that they write, the tone that they, that they write, the length that they write in, it's just it's not readable. And it's not something that, even if they have a great point to make, they're not going to get it across to people. And I, I think that is becoming more important in the industry. As people have less time because there's more content, you need the what you're reading needs to be fun and easy to read, just as much as it needs to be insightful. Were they also speaking? Is that why they were yeah. in town? They were speaking as yeah. well? Yeah. Did you talk about maybe a tour, like a like a, a super band gets together and says, "Hey, we're going to tour." Did, in all seriousness, did you like at any point in the conversation did did one of you say, "Hey, you know, the three of us should just hit the road." If we did, who do you think would open for us? That's what I want to know. Who would open for you? Yeah. Uh, gosh, I mean, based on what you've said about these two guys, I was thinking not so much of an opening act. I'm thinking more like you open for the two of them. Oh, oh, that's that's kind of. <laughs> but it's just like, wow, what a great opening act. I see the direction this this went. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? You could. Here's what you don't want to do, and this is one of those things that happens in entertainment that just absolutely mystifies me, but it does happen from time to time. It is that you go to an, a, a concert, and a comedian will open for a musical act, or vice versa. Uh, one of our colleagues just went recently and saw Amy Schumer, yeah, the the phenomenal stand-up comedian and and uh, actress, and. I said, oh, who was the opening act? And she said, it was actually uh, Amy Schumer's brother. I said, oh, I didn't, I didn't know he was a comedian. Oh, he's not. He's a musician. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, just, that's setting your opening act up to fail. So whoever you have as your opening act, it really should be a fi- financial speaker, someone to get people fired up. Yeah, that's a good idea, a financial concert. I don't, know, I, don't know how the, I don't know if it would draw many crowds, but we could, we could try it. I, in all seriousness, I think you should go to some of these different conferences because this this CFA conference you went to it's in Montreal this year. I'm guessing if they do it once a year, next year it's going to be somewhere else. They're going to pick a nice city, yeah. And you just say, hey, look, you get the three of us. It's a group rate, and it's a, it's a way for you to hit a nice city. I'd do it. You're welcome. A <laughs> uh, couple things before we wrap up. First, uh, our man Dan Boyd is on the other side of the glass, but also. Some very special guests on the other side of the glass. Some uh, a couple of Motley Fool One members, Steve Liston and his wife Renee, joining us today. So thank you so much to Steve and Renee for coming in today. Um, uh, we talked about what you did the other night. I'm going to talk about what I did last night in just a second. But I, I do have to say one thing about the podcast process. And I realize hearing those words come out of my mouth that sounds unbelievably boring, but I think it's uh, a little important. Because I mentioned yesterday that, uh, and and listeners who have been listening over the past week have picked up, we've we started uh, getting some advertisers uh, in the Motley Fool podcast world and world, and I've gotten a bunch of uh, emails from listeners and and comments on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, they the comments uh, fall into two categories. Uh, the the one category, and I'm happy to say the overwhelming majority of the comments. Are essentially congratulations. It, it, it's great because the listeners are like, "Hey, you you made it to the big time. 
We decided that you finally deserve a salary. (laughs) Exactly. We're going to pay you in more than just coffee, (laughs) and that's great. Um, And then a few, and it truly is just a few people, uh, their comment is, Really? Rocket Mortgage? You guys have Rocket Mortgage as a sponsor? Didn't didn't weren't, Come on, Chris, weren't you just railing on them? And uh, so I just wanted to say one thing about that, which is that uh, I was railing on um, uh, their Super Bowl ad. I thought their Super Bowl TV ad went too far. And it went from talking about uh, the Rocket Mortgage product uh, to a narrative about how everyone should buy a house and you should get a lot of stuff to fill that house. And I, I just thought that went too far, and I said so. But um, by the way, that's that's why our ads sound quite different than the TV ad that they ran during the Super Bowl because the Rocket Mortgage product is a sound one. Quicken Loans, uh, a, a very reputable company, and um, so I, I did want to just say that about the whole Rocket Mortgage thing, and and just to to share a little bit more. Uh, and this is this is probably the only time I'll I'll share this level about our advertising. Um, if you're listening over the past couple of weeks, you heard Rocket Mortgage, you heard Audible.com yesterday. We've got more sponsors in the pipeline, and we're proud of that. We're we're proud of the fact that there are businesses who say they they want to align themselves with Motley Fool Podcasts. Um, but I don't want you to think for one second that we don't take your listening experience very seriously because we do, and that's why we're not loading up the podcast with a ton of ads, even though there there are some who have said to us. That's really what we should be doing, um, and that's why we consider the advertisers seriously. We vet them, and in fact, the the first thing that we did with our um, with the ad firm that we're working with was we gave them a two page list. Which, I, by the way, I didn't know this list existed. Uh, but John Keeling, um, our our head of business development, was like, "Oh yeah, give them this," and it's a two page list of businesses that's basically on our block list. And it was just like, here are the companies that we're never going to allow to advertise with wow. us. Yeah, I'd love to see that list. I, you know what? I just might share that with okay. you. Well, actually, you know what? You know John Keeling. Walk over to his desk. It's just outside the studio. I should. He'll give it to you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if you hear an ad from time to time, now you know the backstory. Uh, so we talked about your night. Let me, I, I got to say something about what I did last night. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't even know why you invited me on the show. Now you're just talking about yourself the whole time. No, no, no. Really, to this point, it's largely been you talking about your trip to Montreal. <laughs> I kid. And and a little bit of insight as well. Uh, last night, um, uh, I went to the museum, which for anyone who visits the Washington D.C. area, it's a great museum. Uh, you got to pay to get in. Yeah. So it's different from the Smithsonian in that regard. So maybe if you have little kids, don't go to the museum. But you know, if you're an adult, it's it's worth the money. But there was a a preview at the museum last night of an upcoming documentary that's going to be on ESPN. That's produced by ESPN. It's going to be on ABC, and um, it's entitled "OJ Made in America," and it is a documentary about OJ Simpson. And uh, thanks to Eric Rideholm, um, a good friend. Uh, who started here at the Motley Fool so many years ago? Really, co-founded the company with with David and Tom Gardner, and now Eric's uh, been at ESPN or has been working with ESPN for the last fifteen years. And uh, he invited me and and uh, Matt Greer to come to this screening. It's a seven and a half hour documentary. It's a long one. Yeah, and so it's going to be in five installments starting in mid June. And we watched the first two installments, so we watched three hours. And uh, there were about 75 of us there, and uh, I was sitting with Matt Greer. I was sitting with Joe House. I, for anyone who listens to Bill Simmons' podcast, 
um, Joe House, who's a frequent guest on his podcast and now has his own golf podcast. Um, Mac and Joe and I were sitting together. And uh, when it was over, Eric Rideholm said to me, what did you think? And I said, i got to be completely honest, because I'm old enough that I lived through this whole thing. And I really wasn't looking for an O.J. Simpson documentary, and I certainly wasn't looking for a seven and a half to eight hour O.J. Simpson documentary, and I could not take my eyes off it. It is so well done, and I cannot wait to see the rest of it. It's it's phenomenal. And um, hats off to Ezra Edelman, who's the director, and uh, he did uh, he's done some other stuff with ESPN. He did a, a I think a documentary on the Big East, and this is just. This is one of those things that at various points in the three hours, I thought to myself, college professors are going to take this documentary and they're going to use it in their class. Wow. They're going to, I can see it being used. A class about race relations, a class about celebrity in America, a class about media. It is, it is that it is that powerful, and I know I know you're not necessarily a documentary guy. You're more no, of no, a, I, I love a, documentaries. A book guy, but this no, is no, I love documentaries. Big Ken Burns fan. All right. Has he done any financial stuff? I feel like that's for all the no, stuff well, he's done, there's there's nothing nothing there's, finance related. He he did one on the Dust Bowl, which is obviously Great Depression related. That's about as close as it gets. I I feel I, you know, for as hard as he's working, I feel like Ken needs to work a little harder. <laughs> you know what? I should take that back. Anyway, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.